So I'm pretty proud to say that I, I learned uh, I learned something that's not very manly this morning, but something that makes me feel a little bit better about myself. Uh, I learned how to sew this morning. Not like sew at a sewing machine show. <laughs> no. I'm one step closer to being that Proverbs 31 woman we were talking about. Uh, no, my long story short, jean, these jeans had a little hole. Alyssa was, had a busy morning. She kind of showed me a few tips how to like sew that little thing up. And voila, I'm wearing them tonight. Um, the reason I think about that, though, here I have a point. The reason I was thinking about that today is um, oftentimes, the, what we're going to look at tonight, we're talking about work and rest. We're talking about how, when we talk about relationships, one of the things that we often forget about is that we have relationships like, uh, we have relationships with things like work and rest. We're starting to get into that part of the semester where we're talking about the way we relate to places and the way we relate to things. And tonight we're talking about work and rest. But I was thinking about my jeans because, I was thinking about sewing, because part of what we're going to look at from Genesis uh, tonight is that woven into the very fabric of creation are these two ideas. Work, that we're meant to work because we're made in God's image, but we're also meant to rest because we're made in His image. And instead of typically living as if that's woven into the fabric of creation, that's woven into what we're supposed to be as human beings, typically what we do is we sort of, we, we, are, we are fraying at the seams, so to speak, because we don't do either of those very well. Either we overwork and we're slaves to our work, we're slaves to our school, we're slaves to our GPA, or we underwork and overrest, where we, we basically do nothing. We lay around and watch entire seasons and then ask why, and then we hate ourselves because we didn't go to class, and then we eat several bowls of Fruity Pebbles, and then we don't go to class again and like stay up all night doing whatever, watching more shows, and then we sleep through class. You know, I mean, just not saying that's happened to me. It happened a lot to me. But... <laughs> You understand this tension that we have. And so what I want to do is talk about how do we, how do we sort of reimagine. Uh, here it is. So God created man in his, own, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is in the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps in the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work and he had done, that he had done in creation. Let me pray for us and then we're going to dive in. Father, we, we do thank you that um, when we come to you, we, we come not simply to our creator. That when we look out in the night sky and we look at the stars and we, and we enjoy the weather and we think about the bigness of everything, we know that there is someone there, there is someone behind it. But Lord, I thank you that you're not just the creator, but you're also uh, through Christ our Father. That the creator of the universe is also our Father, and that our Father is also the creator of the universe. And Lord, I pray that as we think about, especially tonight, the way we relate, the way we work or don't work, the way we rest or don't rest, that you would be the one that shows us uh, how near to your heart this is, because you wove it into the very fabric of creation. Lord, help us. Give us grace. We need so much grace from you. Forgive us for all the ways that we uh, don't take you seriously. Forgive us for all the ways that we don't take your word seriously. And help us. Send your spirit tonight to help us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so if you've been with us this semester, you know we're using Beyonce lyrics to kind of do this series, which has been fun for me. 
Tonight is a less no, a deep track, a Beyonce deep track called School in Life. Um, here's what she says in School in Life. Uh, you know it costs to be the boss. One day you'll run the town. For now, make your life what you decide. Baby, party till the fire marshal shut this sucker down. <laughs> Who needs a degree? Uh, oh, 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 oh. Who needs a degree? I always like to get those in. Oh, oh, oh. Who needs a degree when you're school in life? Uh, and she says that several more times. It's interesting that the way she thinks, even the way that she talks, and of course, you know, we don't, we don't take Beyonce overly seriously, but what we do sort of say is it's fun to kind of think about even what she's saying and what it represents and the way that we think. And it's fascinating because behind both of those motivations is our bad work and bad rest, right? Bad work being work to just for the work for the wrong end. Work not for work's sake, but work for the sake of like running this town, right? Bad rest. Bad rest not being rest from and to, to enjoy the labor and fruit of your work, but bad rest in the sense of we're just going to like lose, go crazy, and like burn this sucker down in all you know ways that are self-destructive, right? You see that? It's fascinating because she gets at the heart of the struggle for us that you and I, at the end of the day, we don't know how to work very well and we don't know how to rest very well. Uh, in other words, some some of you already said overwork, some of you ever rest, and so how do, how in the world are we going to begin to think about? The way the Lord wants us to work and the way the Lord wants us to rest. And that's what we're doing tonight. And it's, it's pretty uh, simple. The way I'm going to lay it out is we're going to talk first about work and what I think God says about it. Second, about rest. And then the last we're going to talk about sort of finding the balance between the two. Okay? So first, think with me for a second about work. And what I want to do uh, from the beginning is sort of uh, two things at each kind of point. The first thing, I want to sort of say what it's not and then what it is. So as we think about work, let's think first about what it's not, and then let's think for a second about what it is. So first, what it's not. The kind of three things that work isn't that I think you and I, especially if you're up in the church, we kind of think that it is. Here's the first. Work is not a curse. What's fascinating about Genesis 1 and 2 is that there is work before the fall. Work actually predates the fall. Typically, when you and I think about work, we think about that passage where God sort of says he's going to curse the ground, and it's going to be thorns and thistles, if you know the Bible, the way it says, and that our work is going to be hard, and the sweat of our brow and the way we earn our bread is just going to be, ugh, it's going to be the worst. And so we sort of think about that work inherently is just cursed. It's just sort of like, it's, ugh, it's, it's hard, it's, it's kind of cursed. But the first thing you've got to see is that's not the way that God intended work to be. That Adam and Eve worked the garden. That Adam and Eve were literally farmers I mean, for my hipsters, like, they literally, they, like, farmed the land and lived off of it. So, I mean, that's your dream, to, like, find your Adam and just, like, work. Like, wear some skinny jeans and just, like, work the soil. <laughs> read some Wendell Berry. Get some Wendell Berry in there. Like, you read Wendell Berry to each other before bed. And so, but literally, the idea being that work is not a curse, that it's actually meant to be a blessing from the beginning. That it's meant to bless not only creation, but it's actually meant to bless Adam and Eve. That, that, that work itself is supposed not to curse. It's not a curse, but it's, it's actually meant to be a blessing. And it's meant to bless us. In other words, saying it is, is work is good. That's why not only did work predate the fall, but this is one of the things that, especially if you sort of are here and you're exploring Christianity and you've got this horrible picture of, like, the rapture and, like, this view of heaven, you're like, like, I had friends that would be like, who would want to go there? Like, who would want to be part of this place where it's like we're on harps and, like, singing praise songs, which can be the worst like, and do that for eternity? Like, that sounds... Like, I could barely bear a, uh, this service, much less thinking about doing that for eternity. And the beautiful thing the Bible says is there's going to be work. Work not only predates the fall, but work's going to actually... It's going to be part of the new heavens and new earth. Because Jesus has a physical body, 
We've talked about this a lot in RF. Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of God, and he can sit because he has a body. And there's going to be, work is going to be part of it. We're going to have jobs. And, and Lord willing, I think the way it's going to work, I can't say uh, thus saith the Lord, but I think we're actually, the new heavens and new earth are going to be a place where we're, we're doing work that we feel made for, but we're doing it for all the right reasons because we're doing it to not only add to the beauty of new heavens and new earth, but we're doing it to actually participate in the fellowship of God himself. So first, it's not a curse. But then second, tied to that, is work is not simply a necessary evil. It's not something you do just to sort of to get by or it's a necessary evil. In other words, it's not something that you sort of have to tolerate. It's something that you can actually begin to enjoy. And we're going to talk in a, in a little bit about how do you find work that you enjoy. And I've got some things I want to say to that. Another way of saying this is that work actually matters. That it's not sort of this necessary evil that provides money and then you sort of have a life based on that money. That your work actually can make an impact and make a difference and it's important. Even the smallest sort of careers and the, the most seemingly meaningless jobs have meaning. And this is the third thing tied. These are all tied. It's not a curse. It's not necessarily evil. But it's also not simply a means to an end. That, that, it, that it actually... You know, sometimes, I don't know if you, the movie that sort of captures all this for me is Office Space. Office Space came out a long time ago, but it's, the, it's, it's sort of a, 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 a funny look at how horrible life in, in the office sort of corporate world can be. And the whole movie is kind of like, if you've watched the movie at all, you know the main character, he, he's wrestling with how meaningless his job is, and the only reason his friends are doing their job, and the only reason he's staying in his job is, is kind of because he doesn't want to piss off his girlfriend and, and her break up with him, but it's also just to get money. And so they actually start this Ponzi scheme where they're going to embezzle some money because they don't, have, they don't see the point because they see work as simply a means to an end. It's a means to have a nice house. It's a means to vacate at the beach. It's a means to drive, you know, the car that you want to drive. It's a means to have the kind of life you want to have. Now, this is the trouble for you and for me, is the prosperity gospel doesn't just affect, you know, we sort of think, if you watch TBN, that that's the prosperity gospel. But you and I don't think at all about how much we've, we've, we've it's been in the water we drink too. Because for a lot of you, the reason you even came to college was to get a good job. The reason you would like to get a good job is because you would like to make good money. The reason you would like to make good money is so you can be a, you know, hopefully get, have a nice wife that will be attracted to your money if you're a guy. Or to have the kind of, have nice things if you're a girl, sort of to, to, to like for my wife to buy things from Pottery Barn and to buy things, you know. Even Ikea, even though Ikea is more, it's like the old navy of the furniture world, but nicer. <laughs> but just to have this sort of life and to have this house and to be able to vacation with these people and this kind of place. And if you think about, you're here not to do work that you enjoy. You're here for, sometimes for some of you, the wrong end. And how do you even begin to redeem that? Like, because that's, that's why a lot of you don't love to work, by the way. Like, that's why some of you do spend entire days watching your, that latest show you found on Netflix because you can't bear the thought. You don't understand the point of what you're doing. Um, and, and so you're sort of, you feel very stuck and you feel maybe very bored or you feel very depressed because you feel like your work that you're doing now, especially schoolwork, doesn't have meaning. And you, you sort of can't see into it. And so how does God begin to redeem that at all? Well, let me sort of say what I think. So that's what it's not. Let me say what I think it is. And this is how God begins to redeem our work. And it actually, when God begins to redeem our work, it makes us actually want to work harder for you and me. And just a couple of things. Here's the first. 
that work in and of itself is actually a beautiful reflection and picture of who God is. That when, this is what I love, and this is totally from John Stott. But when he, he has this great line where he says, when you think about the work of God, especially in Genesis 1 and 2, it's both blue-collar and white-collar. On the one hand, it's blue-collar. God is not afraid to get his hands dirty. He's not afraid to get his hands in the dirt and make stuff and build stuff. Uh, Jesus wasn't afraid to be a carpenter. That was his trade for 30-some years, right? On the one hand, God is incredibly blue-collar in his work. But on the other hand, he's incredibly white-collar. He's not afraid to plan. There's this incredible plan to Genesis. If you think about these, the, the days of creation, as God is creating all the aspects of the world, it's incredibly planned, it's incredibly orchestrated, it's incredibly executed. Work in and of itself, blue-collar and white-collar, represents and reflects something beautiful about God, the way that God works and the kind of work that God does. But here's the second thing. This is even more important to get. Not only does it reflect God's own activity... But our work is actually, when, what, God, what our work is meant to be is us joining God in his work. It's, colla- it's not just a reflection of God, it's collaboration with God. That God is actually in, in our work, all of our work, God is inviting us to participate. He's inviting us to collaborate with him in redeeming and making all things new. Now, what's interesting is a lot of you, when you think about that, the only kind of, you sort of think about your job as, oh, how can I collaborate with God? And you immediately think evangelism. And I want to say you're wrong. Because God's work is bigger than evangelism. Evangelism is at the heart of his work. Making people new. Absolutely. You wouldn't be here, a lot of you wouldn't be here if God had not made you new. You know, part of what the Bible says is, is John, you know, Jesus in John 3 says part of what God has to do for you to even believe the gospel is you have to be born from above. You have to be born again. And that's part of his work. And you're called, we're called to, we're to collaborate with God in, in making people new. But it's bigger than just people. We're, we're called to join God in making all things new. Not all new things, but all things new. Institutions new. Places new. Is, is South Carolina going to be a better place because you went here? Is the, of, is the city of Columbia going to be a better place because you live here? Because how messed up is it sometimes that we think the only means to actually collaborating with God is simply to try to force awkward conversations about the gospel? And, like, be rude to people in that. Like, I had a, was talking with a friend today. And this pastor was on the, Joe, the, morning, the morning Joe show with Joe Scarborough on, uh, on MSNBC. And, um, and uh, people were so mad at him because he had a chance to talk about his new book. But he didn't get a chance to explicitly talk about the gospel. And people were, like, bloggers were, like, blogging like crazy. Like, how could you be on TV and not get to Jesus and talk about Jesus? And I wanted to say, listen, when you're on a morning talk show, how rude is it to try to, to try to like judo move the conversation to like Jesus juke it to be like, that's a great point about Obamacare. Let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> like you can't, like at some level that's just rude. Like it's disrespectful and rude, right? We have to get beyond, we, like joining, when we think about the kingdom, we have to understand that, that serving people is more than just trying to force all our conversations about the gospel. Serving people, James says, is actually about literally meeting their needs. It's about actually being aware, right? Being aware of hurting lonely people around you and not trying to, like, drop a Jesus track and be like, hey, but actually trying to, like, give them a hug and, like, spend a little time with them and just talk about walking dead or talk about normal human being things. Do you see it? We need a bigger picture of the kind of work that, me, that God is inviting us into. Because if we don't get a bigger picture of vocation, if we don't get a, get a bigger picture of what work that God is calling us into, we're going to be very narrow 
ineffective Christians. Um, and this brings me to my kind of my third thing I want to sort of say, that what it's not, what it is. Well, how do you begin to think? Part of why you're here is to figure out work. Like, how do you know what's good work for you? How do you know which major you should choose and, and thinking about what career path you would like to head down? Now, part of me wants to say, you don't need to freak out. I've told the story over and over that when I graduated, I did two jobs. I literally thought for, for about a year that I was going to go one of two directions. I thought I was going to work in landscaping, which would have been a disaster. And I thought I was going to work in, this is a little embarrassing, but work in a hair salon. Long story. <laughs> Very different. One made me feel like a man. The other did not. But I literally, saw, I, was, I was engaged and I went to my boss and sort of said, boss, can I run a crew? And he like laughed in my face almost. And then the other guy was trying to recruit me, I think for other reasons. That's a long story too. But anyways, he, he, and then, but then I thought, you know, maybe this is a way to make money. But the whole thing was me trying to figure out how to make money. Like that's what I was thinking about. I wasn't thinking about what am I, what am I gifted at? Because it clearly wasn't landscaping. I don't think it'd be cutting hair either. Uh, but what am, I, what am I good at? And what is God calling me to? Uh, you have it on your, on your, uh, your handout. Uh, Frederick Buechner has the greatest, uh, actually has the greatest quote where he says, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep hunger, where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. I love that. Where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Uh, here's kind of two things I want you to think about as you th- ask this question, how do I even know what kind of work God is calling you to. Here are two, I think, huge things. One, you've got to ask the right questions. Uh, there's a great book called Engaging God's World by a guy named Cornelius Plantinga, and he says it way better than I can, so I'm going to read what he says. He's asking the question, how do you begin to think about what kind of job you should choose as a Christian? And here's what he says. He says, to strive first for the kingdom in choosing a career, a Christian will ask himself particular questions. And here they are. Where in the kingdom does God want me to work? Where are the needs great? Where are the workers few? Where are the temptations manageable? You know, it's fascinating. Some of you know uh, Trex, who's our intern here, and, you know, he was really gifted at comedy. And one of the things that actually, he actually went and studied for a summer uh, at a school in Chicago that's like Second City, that's like the big school, like Tina Fey, all these SNL writers went to. And one of the things he said was, it, was, it would have been, like, as he was thinking about comedy or ministry, one of the things he said, and we had this great conversations around, but one of the things he said was, I could not live in that world and be a Christian. It was too hard for me. And that was one of the ways he knew, one of the ways he knew he wasn't called into comedy, but called into ministry. Uh, where are the temptations manageable? How smoothly could I combine my proposed career with being a spouse or a parent or a faithful child of aging parents? Again, another friend who, who worked with Gap, he worked with Banana Republic, and he had this great job. But he knew as he was getting married, he couldn't stay in that job because he knew he had to travel too much. So he ended up taking another, he's actually in ministry now, but he ended up having to switch careers as he was getting married because it, it didn't work. It wasn't going to work for family. Here's a, the last couple questions. How close would I be to a church in which I could give and take nourishment? And here's the one that we almost never ask. What would my career do for the least of these? Um, that last one's huge. Because a lot of us have grown up in the South, and a lot of us have grown up as good Republicans, and we don't often think about how our job in and of itself is going to help the poor. And sort of the Bible kind of says we have to at least think about that. It doesn't always have to be we're directly working with the poor, but we have to think, is my job helping or hurting? Um, and so first you've got to ask the right questions. Here, second, here's the one that I love that's new for me, is God loves adverbs. God loves adverbs. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is God does not care so much about what you're doing, 
We love nouns. We want to know what, what should I do? Where am I going? We want the black and white concrete. We want nouns. God loves adverbs because he's more cared about how we're doing it. It's less about what we're doing and more about how we're doing it. Are we doing it to his glory? Are we doing it, are we doing it for the sake of the kingdom? Or are we doing it for our glory? Or are we doing it for the sake of ourselves? It's 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whenever, whatever you do, right? And whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. And in some ways, it's incredibly freeing. Because we don't have to overthink it. We take the next step. We, we, we pray through an open door. We walk through the open door. We don't have to way overthink it. We think about what we love. We think about what we think we're good at, what we're called to. We talk with wise people about what we're good at. We talk with wise people about opportunities that, are, that have come. We don't have to overthink it because it's ultimately more about how you're doing it, not about what you're doing. Uh, another way, I love the way that Plantinga says, he says, Jesus built the kingdom first as a, car- a carpenter, then as a rabbi. First as a carpenter, which seems meaningless to us, and then as a more public ministry as a rabbi. So work, there's so much more we can say, but for the sake of time, let's move to rest. Because for a lot of us, you know, we sort of feel like, okay, work, yes, I'm a type A person, I get it. I, I'm very motivated. I, I, I'm the kind of guy that's never been late to class. I've never missed a class. You know, I have a, a, a shiny GPA that we could put a bow on and it would, you know, make, you cry, it would make everybody else cry. But I have no idea how to rest. What, what does it even look like to rest? Is, is rest actually something that God takes seriously? A couple things, again, what it's not, what it is, the way we're going to think about it. And what's interesting here is if in Genesis, the first part, what's interesting is God is inviting us to work with him. What's interesting here is God is actually inviting us to do something opposite. He's inviting us to rest with him. And what's interesting in this passage is, do you notice who rests first? God rests first. It's actually interesting. If you look at Genesis 2, it says he rested, he rested, he rested. God is actually trying to scream at us, rest is something that is deeply important to me. Uh, so first, what, is, what it's not, and then what it is. So first, what it's not. Rest is not a way of escape. Rest is not trying to numb yourself against the reality, the hard reality of the world. Rest is not trying to sort of avoid hard things, right? That's the first thing you have to understand. In other words, rest, when you think about it, it's less trying to avoid or escape your work, and it's more actually trying to enjoy the fruit of the work you've already done, and and trying to sort of take a break and know that you're not defined by your work, which we're going to talk a lot about. So first, it's not escape. Second... It's not unimportant. Because the, the way that I think you and I think about it is, it's like when my wife makes pot roast, and, um, and it's, it's actually become one of my favorite meals she makes. And one of the things that we think about is she makes this incredible gravy. And sometimes, but the gravy's not essential. The meat and the potatoes are essential. We have to eat food. The gravy is not essential. And I think the way that a lot of us think about rest is it's not the meat and the potatoes, it's the gravy. It's like optional. You know, Thanksgiving's around the corner, and it'll just like take a season of prayer. <laughs> To think about all the delicious food we're going to enjoy. Amen. And then, but we think of rest as something that's optional. But God is trying to say rest is meat and potatoes. Actually, rest is, is so vital to who you are as a human being that without it, you're going to kill yourself. Sometimes literally. That rest is so crucial to who you, to living well Resting well is such a, such a crucial thing that God takes so seriously. He does, it, he does it first. He sets the pattern. God sets the pattern, right? Motivational business speakers. But he's got this great quote where he says this, thinking about this idea of the way we set up our lives. It says this. It says, instead of wondering when your next vacation is, maybe you should set up your life in a way that you don't need to escape from it. 
And I love that because if you think about like even our parents or think about the way we think about work, you know, we don't build rest into it regularly. I was just meeting with a guy who's, who's one of our supporters and, and he actually incredibly, he's a CEO of a, of a business in Columbia. He's incredibly successful. And as we're having this conversation, and not only did he make time to meet with me, but we're having this conversation about what he calls non-negotiables. And non-negotiables are things that he's worked over these years, worked into his life, that nothing work, nothing can touch these things. And one of them was beautiful. One of them was a date night with his wife. Talk about rest. He, what he's basically said is, I refuse to be defined by my work because I know that I am more than my work. And this is where rest begins. When you say, I refuse to be defined by my busyness. I refuse to be defined by what I do. Don't you hate that? I mean, like you're, that question, when you get to, you think parties are bad now and awkward now. Wait till you're out of college and everybody's like, so what do you do? And you're like, I'm a campus minister with this ministry RUF. And they're like, what is that? You see, you were like hanging out with college students all day. Loser. And so, you know, you sort of enter into these awkward conversations with like, you know, men and insurance or men and whatever. But we ask that question all the time, what do you do? And, and, and part of what we're saying is you begin to rest when you sort of say, what I do is, like, I love what I do, but I'm not defined by what I do. I love my work, but I have a life outside of my work. And what this guy was saying to me over Starbucks Coffee was, listen, I have these non-negotiables that work can't even touch because they're crucial to me. And if I don't build them in, I'm not going to last. Um, so think about for a second, what is it then? So if it's not escape and it's not unimportant, what is it? A couple things. So if work is joining God in what he does, then what rest is, is, is enjoying with God what he enjoys. This is what I love. And another way we can say it is, work is joining with God in what he does in his work. Rest is, in, is joining with God and enjoying with God what he enjoys. Um, there's a, a writer that I love that sort of puts it like this. He says, we think about, and I don't think any, I don't know if any of you are into this, but he says, we, some of us have these gigantic fish tanks and we love to buy these exotic fish and put them in the tanks but he said think about god god has seas full of all kinds of fish that he daily enjoys and when i read it i just stopped because do you do you have a do you have a view of god who laughs do you have a view of of god enjoying the things that he's created because that's what he's doing in genesis 2 you get the picture that he's just finished making butterflies and he's just finished making you know, azaleas and he's just finished making all these things that, that some of us love. And for a moment he just steps back and it's like he just is looking and just enjoying it, just being in it. It's why we love the passage in Luke 10 where Mary and Martha, if you know the story from Jesus' life... Mary and Martha, here they are. And, and Martha, if you know the story, is busying herself. She's trying to serve Jesus and she's trying to make a good meal for Jesus. And then, and then here's Mary and all Mary is doing is simply enjoying Jesus. She's simply sitting at his feet, listening to him, talking to him. And then in some ways this is a picture of, of what rest is supposed to be. Why is Martha working so hard? Part of why Martha is working so hard is she's, probably, she's still trying to prove herself to Jesus. She's still trying to give Jesus a reason to love her. But not Mary. Because Mary knows she can simply sit at his feet because he already loves her and she can simply enjoy him. And so the question always comes, who are you more? Who are you more right now? Are you still working your butt off trying to prove that you're worthy of Jesus' love? Or can you understand not only that... I mean, another way of saying it is you begin to rest on his work on your behalf. 
Like you begin in the words of the old hymn to lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet, and stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. And this is where rest begins to start. When we know everything that needed to be done for our salvation was done by him for us, and all he calls us to do is simply come at his feet and enjoy it and enjoy him. I mean, it's the movie Annie. You know, you know the story of Annie where Annie comes to the house. She's been adopted from Daddy. You know, she's been adopted from the hard knock life. And you know the story, Annie, she's lived in this, as an orphan in this horrible place, and, and then she gets adopted by Daddy Warbucks. And you, remember, you know the scene? So it's actually worth spending a day watching a Netflix. She comes into the house, and the hostess of the house says, Annie, what would you like to do now? And she doesn't understand the question, so she says, well, I think I'll start with washing the windows, and then I think I'll sweep the floors, and then I think I'll take out the trash. And the hostess says, no, 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 you don't understand. What would you like to do for fun? Because you understand that you're now Daddy Warwick's child and all he wants you to do is come enjoy his house. And part of me so wants to say to you, do you know that that's who you are? As a Christian, that you're now God's child and all he wants you to come and do is to enjoy him and to enjoy his kingdom and to enjoy his house. And that's where rest begins. Rest begins in that place. Um, But uh, what else is work? So work is, is sort of enjoying what God enjoys, which is you. But then the second thing is work is actually, you know, you have to understand that both work and rest are worship. There's no better way for me to say that. That we, work, we worship God in our work by collaborating with him. But we actually worship God in our rest by saying we believe and love your work on our behalf. And we know that apart from you we are nothing and can do nothing. And we can rest because of what you've done for us. And both are ways of worshiping God. I think we think work is worship. I don't think you think that rest is worship. Nor do I think you know how to do rest in a worshipful way. We are not trying to escape life. We are trying to enjoy it with God. So how do you begin at all to kind of find the right balance? And and I'll sort of close with this. How do you begin to find the right balance between working well and and resting well? And I want to kind of say two things. On the one hand, it takes work to rest well. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is figuring yourself out. You know, if I were to ask you the question, how well do you know yourself? This is such a big question for relationships because it's dangerous for you to get married if you don't know yourself that well. It's dangerous for you to begin dating if you don't know yourself that well. But you're never going to begin to understand how to rest well until you understand the things that are restful to you. Because, like, for me, I know the things that are restful for me. That's why I take, like, I like to take two baths a day because baths are incredibly restful for me. (laughs) That was an overshare. (laughs) But, just going to take that one back, but... You find things that are restful to you, that are life-giving and life-restoring. And it takes time to figure that out. But it also not only takes time to figure it out, you also have to guard it vigilantly. You have to guard it with your schedule. You have to make time for the things that are restful. But you also have to guard it in the sense of when you're in that moment, you don't let your mind go to other places. That You can actually be in the moment. That's why when you begin a workplace, you you sort of take a day off. It's easy to take a day off but not mentally do it because your mind is racing all over the place. It's racing about, for you, it's racing about that test you got to do. It's racing about, you know, this that's coming up. It's racing about, so you have to guard not only your schedule, but you got to guard your, your heart and your mind to sort of be in that restful place. But if it takes work to rest well, we could also say it takes rest to work well. It takes you actually believing the gospel. It takes you actually believing that Jesus is enough for you. It takes you actually believing that you don't have to prove yourself anymore. That, that you, that there's, like, the only thing that you can prove to Jesus is that you're a sinner. And guess what? He knows that. That's why he went to the cross for you. If he didn't know, Jesus is not disillusioned about you and me. He doesn't play that game where he's like, all right, prove it. 
He knows what we are. And because and knowing he went to the cross knowing what we were. He didn't get to the cross and be like, what? They're that bad? Like he got to the cross sort of knowing, yeah, I'm here because it's that bad and there's no other way. And when you can begin to rest there, then you can begin to rest. In your, and that's where rest begins. But it takes rest to even work well. Because if, you're, if you don't have the security of who you are in Jesus and that Jesus is enough for you, you're never going to tell people no. Because you're going to live and die by what they think of you. You're never going to sort of be able to choose a career that's not about most success, most money. You're never going to be able to lay your work down and say, I don't need a 4.0 because I can trust Jesus with my future. You're never going to be able to, to, you're never going to be able to work well unless you learn how to rest in Jesus. Because all your work will be driven by all the wrong things and all your work will be, it'll be slavery for you. And this is the last thing I want you to see that you've got to understand as we think about this idea of how do you begin to find the right balance. You've got to begin to see all your work and all your rest in relationship to Jesus. You've got to be able to see that on the one hand, you know, I love the story in Genesis of Jacob and Rachel. You know the story where, where here's Jacob and, and he finds this beautiful girl that he wants to marry. And, and Laban does that thing where he tricks, you know, he tells Jacob to work for him and he's going to give him his daughter. And then he gives him Leah and he tricks him in that weird passage. But then it says that he says if he works for him seven more years, that he will then finally give Rachel his daughter in marriage to him. And I love this story because... Here is Jacob, and he's found the girl that he wants. He's found the one that he, that he longs to be his wife. And so he says, yes, after being sort of tricked, and he's, got, he's already got one wife, he sort of says, yes, Rachel is worth, he's, she's worth it. And I love the way that Tim Keller talks about it. He says, do you understand that that's exactly the way that Jesus sees you? That all of his work, as he was living life in a broken world, and as he was going to the cross, that Jesus, that another way of saying it is, you're his Rachel, and I'm his Rachel. Then when Jesus looks at us, he looks at you and he says, you are, you're worth it. You are worth my life. You are worth my death. You are worth, you are worth everything to me. And is that your view of Jesus? That he looks at you with that kind of affection, and he actually was willing to work for you. But then it's also beautiful because Jesus, that's the kind of rest he invites us into. When he says, all you who are wearied and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. And I think a lot of you don't really believe Jesus. And I think a lot of you have never really taken Jesus up on that offer. Where that he sort of said, listen, you're looking for, you are restless. You know how you're restless? Because I want, I, like... You're looking in all kinds of places. It's, it's Marie Antoinette when she's doing all the parties and she's drinking all the drinks and she's wearing all the clothes. And she, at the end of the day, you remember what she says? She says, no, she's the queen of France and she says, nothing tastes. And you know what she's saying? She's saying, I've done everything. And some of you can say, like some of you, like if you got up here, you could say, that's my story. I've tried, I'm a senior, I've done everything and nothing tastes. And Jesus is saying to you tonight, I taste you're looking for rest in all the wrong places. What's, what's it going to hurt you to look to me and see if you find the rest you're looking for in me? Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, I pray that you're the one that helps us even begin to do that. And I pray that as we think about work and we think about rest, that you would begin to, to call us to yourself. Uh, Lord, some of us are running from you in our restlessness and uh, have no idea what to do with you and are scared that you're going to um, be be hurtful to us and we can't trust you and jesus i pray that you would show us that that's not all you are um that not only are we your rachel but lord 
the rest you call us to is, is to bless us. Uh, Lord, the rest you call us to is, is good for us. Um, and Lord, as we enter into that rest, that you would teach us how to work well, that we be those who work hard to your glory, but we'd also be those who rest hard to your glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Heaven is a place on earth with you. Tell me all the things you want to do. Heart is that you like the bag of gold.